We are on a series entitled uh, Anxious for Nothing. It's basically uh, a, uh, based on a book by Max Lucado, and it's a study guide that goes with it in DVD. So we have small groups that are meeting here for the next couple of, uh, for the rest of the month, actually, uh, during the week and kind of going through a DVD and some study guides with us. And so each morning, each Sunday morning, I tackle what we're going to talk about for that week. All right. So if you're joining us, this is our second uh, message on this. Uh, last week we talked about the idea about being anxious for nothing and we talked about the passage in Philippians chapter 4 that says uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Um, and then in case you forgot it or you didn't get it, again I say rejoice. And, and I use the illustration that this out here is life and all of the storms of life and all the troubles and all of the difficulties of life and that whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, it doesn't matter. We all experience this. Um, as the scripture says, the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has difficulty. Everybody has hardship. The difference is, as a believer, as someone who's put the personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as someone who's become a child of God, I have an option the world doesn't have. And that is, <clears throat> I have a heavenly father who shelters me, who gives me protection from the storms of life. And so I have the option to, although the storms are still going on around me, I have the option to stay under the protection of the Lord. And this is what Paul was saying. Paul said, in spite of your circumstances, in spite of problems with people, in spite of problems with worry, in spite of problems with all the stuff, rejoice in the Lord. Look at what you've been given as a Christian. Okay, yes, you have health struggles right now, but you know what? You happen to live in a country that has one of the greatest health systems in the world. Yes, you have financial trouble. But you know what? I can rejoice in the fact that I have a job. Or I can rejoice in the fact that God has provided for me and allowed me to live at a standard of living that's higher than 95% of the world. I, what, I have a choice. I can focus on the storms and the stuff, or I can focus on God who has sheltered and provided and protects and loves me and cares for me. The question is, where do you want to spend your, your, your energy, here or out there? And so that's what we talked about last week. <laughs> um, this morning, uh, we're going to look at uh, another part of that passage, and uh, here's what it says. Philippians chapter 4, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. And we talked about this idea that this word anxious doesn't mean, oh, don't all of a sudden worry about something. It, it, it's a state of agitation. It's a state of constant fear and worry. And, and I would suggest, as I just talked about, that our world is geared towards that. We, we, again, Satan, the Lord's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is something that Satan tries to generate within us constantly. And most of a lot of stuff that is out there is driven by fear. And if you haven't figured this out yet, um, fear works for a while, but it's a really poor motivator for people. Um, parents, you can raise your children in, a, in an atmosphere of fear. That's going to work for just a certain amount of time. Um, you know, real, if you want real effective parenting, um, you, you always move it from a, a fear thing to a, to a love thing. Um, where it's driven by, ultimately, the kid understands that this is because I love you, um, not because mom and dad say that this is the way it has to be. But he talks here about this idea of let your gentleness be 
evident to all. So let's talk about what he's talking about here. What does he mean when he says gentleness? Here's the idea behind gentleness. It's translated a couple ways. Level-headed, even-handed, fair-minded. It's that idea of a balanced thing. So when the world's all chaotic, you're not running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You're not, oh, what about this? What about that? Oh, do you know what's going to happen? Did you see what just happened? And I don't know what's going to happen. I checked and I didn't get the taxes back that I thought I was going to get back. And I don't know how we're going to handle it financially. And then this agitated craziness kind of response. He said, I didn't save you. God didn't save you in order to live like that. God wants us, and I love what Max Lucado calls it. He calls it a courageous calm. I want you that in the middle of all of the craziness, and we talked last week about how crazy and pressured Paul's world was, I want you to be courageously calm. I want people to actually look at you and go, look, I don't know how you're handling it like that. You ought to be losing your mind. You ought to be worried to death. Why are you handling it like that? Paul said, we should live in such a way. We have the ability to live in such a way that our gentleness can be evident to everybody standing around us in the same boat. And that's our goal. And you go, how in the world do you do that? He gives you the clue right here. The Lord's near. Um, the Lord's near. He said, that's how you do that. That's how you, you, you understand that instead of functioning out here, you function over here. Why? Because the Lord's near. This is the idea. Now, um, I'm, there, I think there's a great story in the New Testament on the life of Jesus that illustrates this better than anything else. Okay? Um, it is one of the most unique stories of Jesus. <clears throat> we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell us stories of the life of Christ, each written from a different perspective. What you may not be aware of is that there are very few stories that are in all four Gospels. Um, there's, a, there's, there, there's a few at the beginning of the life of Christ, and there's about 10 or so in the last two weeks of the life of Christ. But when you talk about that middle section of Jesus' three years on ministry, there is only a handful of stories that all four Gospels talk about. So when you have all four Gospels talking about one story, it's kind of an important story. It's kind of one that you pay attention to because it was significant enough that every single writer said, if I'm going to talk about the life of Christ, you have to talk about this. And this is the story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Okay? So let me give you a little background, and then we're going to read the story, and then we're going to learn some things, and then we're going to apply some things. So um, first of all, here's what happened. Prior to the feeding of the 5,000, again, you can, we're going to look at one, one of the gospel accounts. There are three others that you put all the pieces together um, to get the whole story. But basically, here's what happened. Um, John the Baptist was a big figure in the New Testament. Okay? He's the forerunner to Christ. He's the one that prepared the way. He is the one that a lot of the disciples looked to earlier than Jesus for, 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 for leadership. Um, he's a big player in the New Testament. And what happens is, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty ugly story, but what happens is John the Baptist ends up being beheaded. And the disciples were the closest family that John the Baptist had. So actually the disciples take the body of John and bury it without his head. Okay? And they come to Jesus and, and, and they take care of John. And um, they're tired. 
Um, they haven't had time to eat. They're depressed. They're overwhelmed by losing John because this kind of really rocked and shattered their world. That's the background behind this story. Okay? So you have to understand the mindset of the disciples. And so here's, uh, here's the passage, Mark chapter 6. Um, I have to make the print smaller, so I can't read it back there, so I'm going to try to do this. And the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said unto them, come, me by, come to me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some bread. So we have the crazy world of, of the disciples and Jesus. And he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. He said, uh, let's just get away for a little bit. So they decide to get in a boat and notice what happened. It says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. So again, these, a lot of these guys were fishermen. They were comfortable in the water. So it's like, well, if we can get away, if we're going to get away from people, let's just go get on a boat. Okay? I, I tried to tell my wife, look, look, this is the best time to take a cruise because we can get some awesome prices um, right now. And she's, she's not buying it, but um, she's not a cruise person. I'm a cruise person. I think cruise is like a perfect vacation. Okay, um, but anyway, that's another side thing. She didn't like, she didn't like the the wavy stuff, and I, I love that. So, so if we ever do a cruise again, we gotta travel at night and be docked during the day. That's what we figured out. So anyway, but the, Jesus said, "Let's go ahead and get on a boat. And let's go away for a little bit." So, um, but many who saw them re- leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They saw him get in a boat and they went, "Okay." You know what, the only, the only other place, the dock is over here. Let's go over there. And then when they get there, we'll be there. Um, now, now, if the purpose was to get away from people, uh, this wasn't working. Okay? So notice what happened. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, and by the way, towns in this area were one to 3,000 people. Now, this is the feeding of the 5,000 men. This is, this is making, he's making some statements here. There are a lot of people flocking to him. And if you think they were all just coming to him saying, Jesus, how can we help you? You've got another thing coming. They all wanted something from him. They all wanted to be healed or to be fed or to be taught or to learn this or to, 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 for him to do something for them. And he had, they had just gotten in a boat to get away from people and they land and it's crazy. Now, again, so what happens when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd? He had compassion on them. Gentlemen, this is our idea. He looks at them and he says they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he looks at these people and he goes, you know, I'm tired. We just lost John. We haven't had anything to eat. We tried to get away from people. We end up landing and we got as big a crowd as we just left. I feel sorry for him because I can't help him. So notice what he does. So it says, by this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Look, Jesus, okay, you've done your little thing now. Uh, We got a problem here. These people are hungry. Send them home, let them get something on the drive-thru on the way back, and, and let's call it good. You've done your thing, Jesus. You've taken care of people. 
we're done. Okay? We, 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 we're tired. We're hungry. He's not saying all this, but we're tired. We're hungry. Send them away. They're not our problem. Okay? We don't have to take care of them at this point. We, we've done more than has been asked of us. And notice what happened. It says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Really? Really? You want to give them something? Again, so what do the disciples do? Next, notice what they said. That would take more than half a year's wages. All right, whatever you made last year, cut that in half. That's what it's going to cost to feed these people. When we do a banquet here and we cater it, we pay somewhere between $8 to $12 per person. So let's just say $10. Let's just say $10 a person. 5,000 men is $50,000, plus women, plus children. Okay? So if I came to the board and I said, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to do a deal here. I want to feed 5,000 people in the community. It's going to cost us 50 grand, at least. What do you think the average person is going to say? Wait a minute. That's a lot of money. And then what's the next thing going to be? And we're not going to get a lot out of it either. It's kind of a waste of a lot of money. And that's exactly what they said. Are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus, time out. We're not getting anything from that. I mean, we're, we're a nonprofit, Jesus. Okay? We're, we're living on what people can give us. And you want us to take half of a year's salary and buy bread? They don't say this, but it's like, are you nuts? That's not in the plan, Jesus. Notice what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? He asked. Go and see. So picture the disciples now. Twelve guys go out. There's, we, we know there's 5,000 men. Okay? And we know that we, there's at least one little boy. So I'm going to guess there's women there, and I'm going to guess there's other children there. And they go out, and they walk up to him and say, uh, Hey, Roger, you got anything to eat? And it's, it's kind of like, you know, the last, you know, you, your, your plane has crashed and, and, and you're trying to gather resources. Are you the guy who goes, yes, this is what I've got? Are you the guy that keeps your, your Snickers in your pocket for you later kind of thing? Okay. And so these people are looking at it going, well, I ain't going to tell you what I got. And some little boy goes, yeah, I got my lunch. And I think the disciples, my idea of this, and again, I'm going to use my imagination, for instance. I think the disciples, almost out of desperation, kind of go up to Jesus and go, hey, here you go. That's what we got. You want us to feed them? There it is. Now, you get the American idea of five loaves, okay? Here's what we're talking about. This is a little boy, okay? So here we go. That's it. Five of these puppies. Okay? Again, it's a little boy with a sack lunch. It's a happy meal. Actually, there's more food in a happy meal than this kid has. And when you think fish, you're thinking three or four or five pound bass. These are sardines. 
I am not opening them because I have to stay on the platform. There's more than two in here. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. And I almost think the disciples looked at it and went, there you go. Now, what do you think you're going to do with that? And if you're a disciple, and this is all you've got, don't you kind of look at it and go, this ain't happening. So now, if it's not crazy enough, notice what happened. Then Jesus says, have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So we're going to put 100 people there, 50 people here, 150. You get everybody sitting out on the grass. Okay. Again, a town's one to 3,000 people. We've got 5,000 men. And you've got all these groups sitting all around. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. So Jesus doesn't function here. Okay? Jesus functions over here. And he rejoices. Lord, thank you for providing for all of these people. Thank you, Lord, for giving us five loaves and a dozen sardines, two sardines. Thank you, God, for taking care of us. Well, I rejoice in all that you're doing. Thank you. And then, notice what the text says. It says, then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Now, I don't know how this worked. I don't know if Jesus took these five little pieces and broke them up and, and, and broke it in half and said, all right, here you go. You, you, here, I don't, I don't know what you do with two fish. I mean, I don't know how you divide it in five. You know, um, I, I don't know if what Jesus does is if he hands these guys four of these or five of these or whatever, two of these, and the next guy comes up and he's got five more and two more and and they're kind of looking at it going, I don't know if he like multiplies it all at once and starts throwing it in the baskets for them to take. I don't know how it works. But all I know is that what happens is these guys start handing this stuff out. And it's kind of like the oil in the Old Testament. Every time they dip the thing in, there's more than, that, than was there. And they end up feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. Um, and notice what he says. And they all ate and were satisfied. Anybody who said, I want seconds, got seconds. And the teenagers got thirds and fourths. <laughs> and everybody is now full. And then, as if, and I don't know, again, I think Jesus has a wicked sense of humor. But it says... And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. Jesus almost, and I think almost, again, to make a point even. How many disciples are there? 12. Hey, guys, here's a basket of leftover stuff. Because I want you to know I provide. I take care and here's a reminder to you. The Lord 
is near. Because in this whole thing, you forgot to put me in the equation. And the disciples walk out there with 30 Happy Meals apiece and going, wow. Wow. All four gospel writers tell you this story. And there's all kinds of lessons for, oh, by the way, I think I, got, I think I have a picture actually of, this is actually what some guy, this is kind of the idea. Um, yeah, yeah, this is it. I mean, that's it. Little pieces of bread and, and, and a little, little bigger than the sardines. Um, so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I don't know if you'll have enough food for potluck. I got 12 sardines. <laughs> and, and five biscuits you can have. We run out. They're all yours. Okay? Because I, I ain't doing the sardines. I ain't, you know, I, I actually was telling somebody about this this week. And like, I love sardines. I'll just bring you some. I'm like, great. Because after, I got them on my shopping list. And I don't know what I'm going to do with them afterwards. So, there's all, so somebody else is. But we'll, I'm sure they'll give them to you. All right? If, if you're a sardine person. But here's the idea. Here's the idea. Anxious for nothing. Um, gentleness. Disciples are looking at every situation. And, and, and as you look at it, they do the same thing you and I do. We do the exact same thing that the disciples do. You know, what happens? First of all, <clears throat> they're faced with a problem. And one of the first things that they do is they go, you know what? It's not our problem. We're not going to get involved in it. You know, just send all the people away. It's not our deal, Jesus. It's their problem. They got themselves into it. I don't need to help them. You know, or we look at it and we go, you know what, Jesus, you know what? Look, Jesus, it's not my problem. It's my wife's problem. You fix my wife and we're good. And we, we, we do this. We shift the blame somewhere else. We ignore it. We push it away. We, do, we want to do the same thing to this. I don't want to get involved in this, Jesus. This isn't my deal. So... I don't want to deal with it. Jesus, on the other hand, steps off the boat and sees in gentleness a, a group of sheep without a shepherd and says, I want to help them. And then when the disciples are faced with a big challenge, feed them. Where do they go? First place they go is we don't have enough money. They're making a money problem. Right off the bat. We don't, have, we, we don't have enough money. I can't afford that. I don't know how in the world God's going to take care of it. You know, I mean, I mean you know, we're, we're just going to starve. You know, I used to do this before, before my wife called me on it a lot, enough that I realized she was right, and, and that was kind of wrong. Um, um, but no, that was wrong. She was right, you know. I, I, have a, I have a tendency to, I don't know how, to, how you say this word, so I'm going to try it. Catastrophize stuff. You know what I mean? So I have a tendency to look at my wife and say stuff like, well, that's okay. We'll just go ahead and do that and we can live on the street. <laughs> you know, um, that's not a lesson from some odd, a lot of years of marriage. Don't go there. It just doesn't work. Um, but I, I had a tendency to go to the worst case scenario with stuff. Um, the gentleness looks at what you have, not what you don't have. That's why we talked about this last week. Sitting over here, I rejoice in all that God's done. I, I, I find ways to rejoice in the situation and the circumstance. Instead of sitting out here, I'll doom and gloom. Over here, 
Jesus looks at it and goes, let's thank God for what we've got. The disciples are over here going, hey, you got a happy meal. What are you going to do with that? You really think you're going to feed 5,000 people with this? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I am. In fact, four gospel writers are all going to be talking about this when I'm long gone. Because this is going to make an impact on you. And Jesus is over here saying, dear God, thank you. And again, this is how you know it's a Bible, incredibly Bible story. Thank you for the sardines. Um, but you know what? He does. Why? Because they wanted to make it about money. They wanted to make it about, was it a wise use of money? What's our profit loss? You know, what's our margin rate on that? No, no, no. Jesus, Jesus said, look, we need to feed them, and I'm going to feed them, and I'm going to feed them from what we have. So go out and find out what we've got. And I still think there's guys that had Snicker bars in their pocket. But have you ever thought about this? What if the little kid said, no, you can't have my lunch? Or what if Jesus said, whoa, we're not getting off the boat. That's just too many people, and I'm tired. I'm done. See, there's a lot of great lessons. That's why this story, I think, is so important. But we do the same thing. We come up against things, and we start running everywhere trying to find solutions. And all we really had to do was go over here and say, Lord, how are you going to handle this? The Lord was near. He was right there the whole time. And they don't turn to him first. They try to not make it their problem. They try to make it a money issue. They try to make it a we don't have enough issue. They, all of these things instead of going, okay, Jesus, here's what we've got. Let's see what you're going to do. So let's talk about some things for us um, as you head into tomorrow and, and for the rest of the week. First thing is this. Don't be surprised when God asks you to do the impossible. Some of you are in work situations right now, and it just seems impossible to you. You've got to make some tough decisions, or you're trying to figure out how you're going to handle this, or what you're going to do here, or what direction you're going to go there, and it almost seems like you're up against a wall, and you don't know which way to go. Some of you have got financial issues or health issues, and it just seems like there's no end, and it's impossible what you're up against. That's where God works the best. Because you see, if you can handle that, with gentleness and with dependence on God and trust in God, then it's going to be evident to everyone around you. And you're going to have people, believe it or not, to come up to you and say, look, I don't know how you're doing this. I don't know how you're handling this. And you have an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not. But let me tell you about my Lord who has been near me and with me the whole step of the way. Because he's allowed me to handle it that way. And he has helped me through it. And it's been tough. And I'm not going to cut you any slack. And I'm not going to paint you some rosy picture. It's been miserable. But I haven't been through it alone. Because the Lord's been near every step of the way. God's going to ask you sometimes to do the impossible in your mind. Just like he did the disciples. Feed them. And they're looking at going, you, are you, have you, have you been on the boat too long? What do you mean feed them? And here's the second thing you learn. God is a master at doing a lot with a little. Come on. It's a sack lunch. It's a kid's sack lunch. 
Can you imagine me standing up here going, hey, folks, listen, we've got more than enough food for everybody at Potluck because I brought lunch today. You would look at me and you go, you've lost your mind. You're not going to feed, you're not going to feed 150 people with that. And they're looking at 50,000 or 5,000 plus. And they're going, how in the world are you going to, Jesus like, no, you don't understand. I can do a lot with a little if it's given to me to use. And some of you, you get so frustrated because you're like, well, there are other people who can do it better than me. Maybe so. But God does a lot with a little. All God wants is a little bit of what you're willing to offer. And he'll do a lot with it. You know, it, it, it's a simple thing as writing a note to somebody. It's a simple thing as walking by a desk and encouraging somebody. It's a simple thing about treating cashiers and waitresses and, host, and hostesses with respect and dignity and like a human being. You'll be amazed how God uses stuff like that. You'll be amazed at the doors it opens. So that's a great, big, grandiose thing where Jesus steps in and says, hey, look, there's a catering truck. Let's feed everybody. He's like, no, no, you give me a little, I'll do a lot with it. And if you haven't noticed, the Bible, stories, the Bible is full of those kinds of stories. When people just said, all right, Lord, here I am, use me. And I'm going to encourage you because some of you have you, you developed this mindset that God can't use you because of whatever. And there's nothing further from the truth. Nothing further from the truth. And last thing, and I think the thing that really hits me as I look at this story is they never focus on Jesus. And he's right there. They look at all the reasons they can't do it. They never turn around first to Jesus. Jesus is like the last resort. And I think that's like us so many times. That we forget when we're, that whatever, whatever hits you this week, the Lord is near. He's right there. Um, here's something interesting. Um, when Jesus is born, okay, his name is called Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Do you know the last thing that Jesus, so, so in, in the beginning, when Jesus comes into the planet, as he wrapped in human flesh, he comes into the planet and he says, God with us. Okay? His birth. As he leaves this planet, he meets with the disciples 40 days after the crucifixion. You want to know what the first thing he says before he goes is? Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It's like the whole life of Jesus has these two parentheses. I'm here. I'm always going to be here with you. And we miss that. We miss that. We're like the disciples. We try to figure out every other way in the circumstances and difficulties that we have. Instead of going, the Lord is near. He's right there. He's right there. And instead of going to him last, what would happen if we start going to him first? Instead of trying to figure out all the financial ways out of this mess, what happens if we go to him first? What happens when we put our trust and our confidence in him first? And as soon as something happened, as soon as whatever crisis, whatever difficulty, whatever hardship, whatever storm comes, the first place that you go is here. 
Lord, thanks for loving me. I don't feel loved right now. We're going to talk about prayer before this thing's over. Um, so don't, don't, you know, don't send me emails yet. Um, you know, but Lord, I, I really don't like this situation. Lord, honestly, I, I don't know what to do here. But I know this, Lord. I know you're my shelter. I know you love me. I know you care about me. Um, I know that I have some tough things ahead of me, but I know that you have provided an awful lot for me. So, Lord, as I go through it, I want to be a testimony. I want people to see you in me. So, Lord, as we take this journey together that I really don't want to be on, help me to stay close to you. Help me to depend on you. Help me to always remind, remind myself that you are right there, that I don't go through this alone. And, Lord, one day when I take my last breath and I meet you face to face, I'm going to have some questions. But right now, I'm just going to have to trust you. And as I'm walking around in the world, they look at me and go, how come you're not mad? You're not angry. How come you're not upset like all of us are? Well, it's not me. It's Christ in me. What do you mean? My gentleness can be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord's near. And I want to challenge you, whatever you're going through right now, remember that. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. He's right there. He's right there. So as we end the week, as we end this week, start the new week, we don't have to be anxious, frustrated, and worrying all week. God is near, and our focus has to be on him. That allows us to respond in such a way that those around us notice something different. While others are anxious, we have a calm that trusts in our God who's always near, and we can respond in general. With a courageous calm, because the Lord is near. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's easy sometimes that we get so focused on what's happening around us and the situations that we find ourselves in, Lord, that we lose this perspective. Lord, there are people in here who have and are carrying heavy, heavy loads. They've been hit with things in the last days, weeks, months, even years. The Lord, just been overwhelming. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help them to understand and to see this morning that you have not abandoned them. Um, you do care. You do love. That, Lord, you are near. And that you would help them to learn how to put their confidence and trust in you as the shelter in the spite of the storm. And, Lord, may it be something each of us learn and remind ourselves with every day. And use us so that, Lord, as we walk about in a world of fear in a world of anxiety, in a world of worry, that, Lord, there is a courageous calm about the way we approach life. And may they see that in us because of you. These things we ask in your name. Amen.